Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened. And we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged. And we love you. God bless. This week, we're going through the series Home for the Holidays. Don't you love being home for the holidays. There is no place like home. Um, I was tasked with speaking about probably the biggest, widest, just deep subject in the Bible, and that is love, during Lee University finals week. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Yesterday, I went to a coffee shop in Athens that I frequent because it's fantastic, and I was drinking a lot of coffee and preparing finals and the rest of the sermon and I counted the five shots of espresso I had accumulated over a couple hours. And I kind of preached the sermon to myself in my head in four and a half minutes. <laughs> it's probably not going to be that short this morning. Love is such an interesting thing because it's go- literally from Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's covered in the Bible. Um, one verse says, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Um, It says the greatest is love. So I'm not saying this is the most important week in the sermon series, but the Bible did. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Or click on your phone. Starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And that's your first point. God is love. Let's keep that in the back of our minds through this whole, this whole little series we're going through, is that God is love, and ultimately, love is God. And to be connected to God is to love. And if you're not loving, you're not being connected with God. So, during the holidays, I had to think of something that conveyed love during the holidays. Last week we talked about hope and we did the little game and every year from the time I was like six to the time I was 12 for some reason I always got shaving cream (laughs) in that game which if you can see me now I definitely didn't need it when I was 12. (laughs) And I the game was fun but I always got toilet paper shaving cream. I remember one year I got a knife and it was fantastic and my dad took it from me. <laughs> I don't know why. But how do we convey love during the holidays? And if you grew up in the southern United States, or you spent any amount of time here, there's one thing that someone does to show love, and that's they feed you. If anybody in this room hangs out with me or anybody else, you're doing it around mealtime. We don't hang out when there's not going to be food there. Like tonight, there's going to be food there because nobody would come otherwise. <laughs> if I'm, if we're, hey, let's have a meeting. Well, where are we going to eat? That's the next question. Where are we going to eat? If you come over to anyone's house, are you hungry? Do you want to eat something? You look hungry. If I go to my grandmother's house, I can't leave. I cannot go through the door unless I've been fed. But you can't tell, but I promise that's how it is. <laughs> We convey love 
by feeding somebody, that's how, it's the universal language. Everybody, no matter how terrible of a cook you may be, has the one thing that you can make, and you can make it good, and that's what you bring to Christmas. My wife makes these things called sticky buns. And it's literally, I kid you not, the night before Thanksgiving, we were up till 2 in the morning. Well, okay, I was up with her while she was making them until 2 in the morning. And they are like heaven in a cast iron skillet. I would swim across the oceans for a sticky bun. But she makes them, and that's her love language is baking. And she has this KitchenAid mixture that she uses to make this magic happen, of whether it's cheesecake. And that's how she shows her love is with food, and it's such a great way to show love. <laughs> love is such a hard thing to describe, though. You know, I can show you love by feeding you, and that's a pretty good way of showing it, but if I have to describe it in words, it's so difficult. And so I turn to my favorite author, as I often do, and it's, it's C.S. Lewis. And he had a book that he wrote in the 40s, and it was called The Four Loves. And it's very deep, and it's very complex, but if you spend time reading it, he, he basically defines love. This isn't in the book, but he's credited with defining love as this, and this is fantastic, and I encourage you to write this down. He said, love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. Love is unselfishly choosing for another's, high, another's highest good. And I can't think of a better definition than that. For me to look at somebody and abandon all self and abandon all selfish desires and choose another's highest good. Trent loves hunting more than anybody I've ever met. He makes fun of me anytime I'm not hunting. But you know what? A lot of that changed here a couple weeks ago. He chooses that little bundle of joy over hunting any day because he unselfishly is choosing for another's highest good. We're going to start by saying love is affectionate. Now, when we hear the words affectionate, we, we want to think of these two, like I get this image of two people and they're always in the mall and they're in the way and they're like sharing the same air with each other. And they're like, no, you're sweeter. No, you're sweeter. And you're like, can y'all just, can y'all start arguing or something? That would be funner to watch. <laughs> and it's terrible. It's like, that's not affection. That's gross. <laughs> okay. You know, you, people think, well, we're just, we're just, we love each other so much. No, you don't. You love people seeing you so much. <laughs> and his, in the book, The Four Love C.S. Lewis said this. He says, affection, as I've said, is the humblest of love. It gives itself to no errors. People can be proud of being in love. You know, <laughs> or a friendship. True affection is modest. And can be even furtive or shamefaced. You know, a lot of times when people are looking to show the love of God, I think of this story in the Bible of this woman who had nothing but a few pennies and quietly walks to the front of the church and gives her pennies, and then quietly sits back down. And there's all these people that are flaunting these $100 bills in the air, like, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. But what Christ said was that that is giving out of love. Giving sometimes all that you have left or giving all of you to somebody else or for somebody else is what affection is. 
It's staying up till two in the morning to cook a meal. It's laboring in a house full of screaming kids to make sure that everybody has a Christmas present or that the tree's decorated or that there's a fire in the fireplace. It's those little acts that we do that maybe nobody else notices or quite frankly take for granted that show affection for somebody. I'm going to pick on my wife for a moment. But two days ago, I bought her a new hair dryer and she almost cried. And I was like, I don't, under I don't understand this. What is, why, it's a hair dryer. It was like $14 at Walmart. And she's like, no, but you thought of me and you got me a hair dryer. I'm like, it's a hair dryer. <laughs> and I didn't think of it at the time, but apparently that just did something where it was so sweet that I bought her hair dryer broke and she didn't want wet hair. So I got a hair dryer. I thought, I thought it was what I was supposed to do, but apparently that showed this incredible amount of affection that I bought a hair dryer. So guys, buy a hair dryer. <laughs> it worked. Taking notes. Romans 12.10 says this. It says, show family affection. And family affection is different than friend affection. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Did it say showing loud, proud, with one another? No, it said showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord together. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And how many know some family members will persecute you? Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That means don't think of yourself higher than others. Don't repay any, anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable with everyone's eyes, in everyone's eyes. And if possible, on your part, be at peace with everyone. Did it say anything about being loud, crazy, and all making a show about yourself? No, it talks about being humble. That's what affection, affectionate love is. It's those little things where we can show how much we truly desire another's highest good. Where we can look and say, look, this is all I have to give. And this is maybe something that's not even that big a deal to me, but it's a big deal to you. So I'm going to do it for you because I am unselfishly choosing for your highest good. You know, when Christ is on the earth, he, he was humbler than any of us will ever be. But because he desired all of our highest good, his ultimate showing of affection was just to lay down his life. After we're affectionate, we need to be connected. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, in each of my friends, and when he talks in the book, he when he said, refers to his friends, he says he has seven true friends. I took my Facebook, I had like a thousand something friends, and I'm like, I do not know that many people. I don't. I know like seven. That I like have good, like everybody's my friend. But like good friends, like maybe seven. The people that 
I consider to be people that build me up on a regular basis and people that I connect with on a regular, I get like a couple that put up with me. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights other than my own to show in all facets. By yourself, and I emphasize this, by yourself, you're nothing. I'm nothing. I naturally have a tendency to kind of be a lone wolf. I like to just kind of be by myself, work by myself. I don't like help. I know a lot of people are that way. A lot of us have jobs where we just want to be alone, and if other people help us, it's probably going to mess it up and cause more work for ourselves. It's unfortunate, but that's just how it is. And because we have this lone wolf mentality, we feel like we're better on our own than we could be in a large group. And so we become sort of this person who we bottle everything up inside and we start to not share things with other people. And we end up being this bottled up rage and anger. It says in each of my friends, there's something that only another friend can fully bring out. If we're connected with other people, how many, how many people have a friend that you love to death, that if you two are together, nobody else can get a word in edgewise. Nobody else can speak because you two are just loud and having such a good time and you love each other so much. And you may see each other once a year, but that once a year, you're connected. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from worship meetings on rainy Sunday mornings, as some habitually do. But encur- I didn't say it, the Bible did. But encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Being connected to other people is sometimes the most therapeutic thing on the planet. The worst thing you can be when you're going through a rough time is alone. You know, the re- when a long, 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 long time ago when... People came to the New World from England. They set up these things called colonies, right? It's just a group of people that are all surviving together. And if one person doesn't do their job, people start dying. You depended on it. We created this mentality of having, hey, if you got to make the wood and I got to build the house and you got to kill the sheep and I got to eat the sheep and it's, it's, we all have this job to play on it and you depend on each other when you're isolated and cut off from all these resources. But then we build this culture around us where we live in our cell phones and feel like we're having some sort of connection with other people because we have a thousand Facebook friends that we don't know. And so we feel like we're connected but we're lacking the basic human connection of sitting across the table and eating and talking and putting our phones down. I saw a challenge online that said, everybody take your phone, put it in the middle of the table, the first one to pick up buys food. (laughs) It's funny, but everybody in the room would be like, oh, I'm going to buy food. (laughs) I would lose. I would probably lose. But the basic human connection is something that Jesus needed. And I think if Jesus needed it, we probably need it. Jesus had 12 other men around him. Now, he was discipling each one of them and building them up. But he had people connected around him because he needed a group of people to be with him at all times. And if we think that somehow because we are able to love each other through a phone screen or an iPad or a computer that we're having some sort of false sense of connection, that's not true. 
I read some studies that talked about how the, this whole age of texting is making people or people in my generation and younger generations not be able to have a functional job interview because they don't know how to look at somebody when they're talking or they don't know what to do with their hands without a phone in it. I've had people, I work, I work at Ford, I fix cars and I've had people leave their phone in the car and like, oh yeah, I can't, you, like I have the phone up or the, uh, the car up on a lift that's eight feet in the air and they're like, can you please get that? I have to have my phone, I just have to have my phone. Like, you're going to play Angry Birds, and I'm going to be done in 10 minutes. You will be fine. I have to get the phone anyways. But, but that's the people. These college students will come running back like, oh, my gosh, without my phone, I am just lost. Because, God forbid, I have a conversation with somebody I don't know in the lobby. If you, if, I encourage you, if you go to a coffee shop or someplace where people are by themselves, and you look at somebody who's sitting by themselves and say, may I sit here? They won't know what to do. <laughs> and it's this sudden sense of discomfort because oh there's somebody I don't know here and I don't know what we're going to talk about and we're not Facebook friends and I don't know how to communicate with another human being but is that what love is? is that the love that Christ set us out to convey to the world is hey I need to communicate my religion and faith through a sharing on Facebook or did you say, go out into all parts of the world and preach the gospel until the day that you die? Reach non-believers and feed the hungry and take care of the widowed and the orphaned. He didn't say, share it on Facebook. If we love somebody with the love of Christ, we got to put the Facebook and the phone down. Because listen, when C.S. Lewis said, in each of my friends there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. When believers get together, things get done. I have a dear friend who's in China right now working. His job is to keep parents with disabled kids from leaving them in dumpsters and leaving them just to die out in the streets or putting them up for adoption. That is what he does, is make sure that kids with disabilities don't get abandoned. And every time I talk to him, or I've seen him on Facebook or whatever, it's, it's, you know, I kind of have to communicate with him through Facebook. The short drive to China. <laughs> He's always got a bunch of people around him helping him. And to me, he is a rock star of the faith for what he does. He took him, his wife, and three kids to China. His blonde-haired kids in China, they stick out. But he has people surrounding him. And I asked him one time, I said, what's the biggest struggle you have when it comes to, he says, you know, it's easy to get people to kind of give their money when you're doing stuff like this. He said, it's hard to get people to FaceTime me and my family and for us to have a normal conversation in our native language. And I was like, wow. Because connection to other believers is that important? Thirdly, love is reserved. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, because sexual immorality is so common, and this was in like 1945. 
And he says sexual immorality is so common. He'd pass out if he came in today. You can't see a cologne commercial without seeing borderline pornography. I'm like, but what does it smell like? It says, because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. I, I feel like a lot of people... I want to say that this scripture is giving us the right over our spouse. Because we want to take certain scriptures out. And, you know, it'd be easy for Kelly to look at me and be like, the Bible says, <laughs> you can't wear that shirt. <laughs> and he's quoting 1 Corinthians 7 2 here. The Bible says, I got the right over your body. And you are not cutting your hair like that. I don't care what Trent does. <laughs> what this is saying is, I don't have the right over my own body because when we got married, God joined us together as one unit. That doesn't mean that we have to do every single thing together. I'm not watching a Hallmark movie. I'm not doing it. I do know what I'm missing. The girl from the big city gets the guy from the small town. Which one was that? <laughs> Thank you. It's funny. <laughs> so, but let me tell you this. If you have some kind of disconnect from your spouse, and we want to use the excuse, well, you know, they're doing their thing and we're doing ours. It just, it works for us. Well, the Bible said, I made you two one flesh to be together, to live life together, to work together, to be hurt together, to be happy together, to, for if one of you fails, the other one fails with you. My grandfather, my dad's dad, before I was ever born, my grandmother got encephalitis, brain swelled up, she had short-term memory loss and had to have a personal caretaker for the rest of her life. And he stood by her side. The only time I ever saw him not with her was when he was at cardiac rehab because he had a triple bypass. feel like that's a good excuse. And at that point, you know, now I'm older, kind of looking back, you know, when I was younger, I didn't understand what was happening. But looking back now, I, I can't come up with the excuse, well, we just like different things. Well, you know, we're, we, we make it work. We don't want to really, you know, I may be gone for days and days at a time with my guy friends, but, you know, it's got to have man time. And she doesn't say, well, i got to be with my girlfriends because you're driving me nuts. And, yes, there's a place to be apart and a time to be apart, but that should not be the norm. In his book, he said this, let our hearts break, provided that they break together. If the voice within us does not say this, it is not the voice from the God of love. 
nobody, whether you're married or you have a best friend or whatever it is, should have to go through a heartbreak alone. That's not biblical. If somebody around you is hurting deeply and we say, well, prayer emoji, that's, that's dropping the ball. If your heart doesn't break together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with your spouse, if your heart is not telling you this, it's not coming from the voice of the God of love. And God is love. And so the voices are from His. Love is reserved. Love is reserved because it's not, you know, the American language is, it's funny, I read this thing where it's like, we have a working language of like 3,000 words. Shakespeare had like 14,000. We condense words together. We use the same word for like 12 different things, and then we spell it the same with three other words. If I say I love tacos and I love my wife, close, but it's not the same love. <laughs> you know, I hate going to the DMV, and I hate that there are kids that grow up and never know who their parents are and have to eat trash in the garbage, or eat the trash in the garbage. Same word, same kind of meaning, but it's not. There's like 20 different words for love in the Bible, if you read it in the original language. And so love ends up not being so reserved in our very limited vocabulary. Love is to everything. You know, some people, I love it when it rains. Oh, I love it when the sun's out. I love the beach. I love tacos. I love nachos. I love food. I love food. And so we began to take this reservation of what love is and expand it out. And so whether it's our spouse or somebody we're close to or coming to church, whatever it is, we start to blur the lines between what we are reserving our hearts and our time for and start to make it more about us. And if we're selfishly choosing ourselves, we're not unselfishly choosing another's highest good. Love is reserved because the love that Christ used to die on the cross for you wasn't the same love that he felt for bread or Hebrew nachos. The love that you reserve is that special love in your heart that is tucked away for something that you may wait 50, 60, 70 years for. My great-grandmother waited 90-something years for the salvation of my great-grandfather. 90, that's a reserved love. It, if the line's long somewhere, I just go somewhere else. I'm pretty patient, but I, I don't know if I can wait 90 years. But when we reserve love, we're acting as Christ has called us to. If in the end of the day, I think it comes down to how hard is it to decide? If it's a toss-up in the air of whether I want to serve and do what God has called me to do or the game's on. If I 
decide of paying my tithes or buying that little bit extra. You know, that'd be, you know, a couple hundred bucks could, that's a, that goat take you from the XLT to the Lariat. You know, I could go on Sunday morning, but it is very rainy and cold, and I could show up at Thrive and fold clothes, but I'm not much for folding clothes. I could have a gift card, but then that means, you know, my kids may have one less gift. Love is reserved because Christ called us to love with a very specific love and unselfish love. Lastly, love is giving. This, if you Google C.S. Lewis love quotes, this is going to be the first one that pops up. First one. And this came from the For Love book, and it is fantastic. People make pallet wood plaques and throw it on the wall, and it's all over Etsy, and it's fantastic. But listen, we're going to read it slow. It says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one and not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, unpenetrable, and irredeemable. The vulnerable nature of love. When I say love is giving, I don't mean love is giving gifts. Love is giving of ourselves. You know, we think, well, I've, I'm, I'm not locking away my heart and keeping it away from everybody else. But it says, wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. It's easy to dive in to the things, is what the Bible would call them. These little things that mean nothing and are easily replaced. Some of us, it may be a car or going outside or spending time doing something alone. You know, we abandon all sense of connection because connection has ultimately let us down in the past. He doesn't say love anything in your heart, maybe. He says it certainly will be wrong. The people who you love the most are also going to let you down the most. That's because we're people. If only Christ would have looked at the earth and said, I can't die for them. They're going to let me down. They're going to fail. They're going to do something that's not going to be that I, something I fully planned out for them. They may stray from the path a little bit, and Lord knows I can't handle that kind of heartbreak, so bound to hell they go. And it's a harsh reality, but I don't think anybody lets each other down more than we let God down. But we've said this before. We were never holding Him up. 
I'm not saying that we should excuse any actions of other people. But to reconcile the fact that if we truly love somebody, we have to accept that we're going to let them down and they're going to let us down at some point. And if we hinge all of our affection, connection, and giving, our reservations on the fact that they're never going to mess up, then at some point, whether it's a spouse or a church, another person, they're going to do something that's going to let us down. Big time. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die just for a person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And when it says we were enemies, it doesn't mean we were enemies with each other. We were enemies with God himself. But through the reconciliation of his son, then how much more have we been reconciled? We will be saved by his life. And not only that, but we will also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received reconciliation through him. None of us are God. None of us are Christ. None of us have the capacity to love a world enough to lay down our lives for them. None of us have the capacity to feel the type of love and unselfish giving for an entire world that we would bear all of their heartache and pain and mess ups. That we have, would have the ability to take ourselves and bear the pain of everybody else. Physically, mentally, we can't do that. At some point, we're, we ourselves are going to break and fall. But while we were still sinners, He died for us. He was the ultimate gift. He was the ultimate love. And the reason we're celebrating all of these things this Christmas season. All of the one, you know, some people want to get wrapped up. And well, the Christmas tree was was actually a pagan ritual. I don't care. Well, gifts given were actually that was another pagan ritual. So we don't we don't partake in that. Okay. If you feel like your Christianity is hinging on the fact that somebody a thousand years ago may have done something similar that was pagan, you probably should hit the Bible a little bit harder. But if at our heart and our deepest being we begin to reconcile with the fact that everything that we do this Christmas season, when we finally sit around a table with a group of people that may drive us nuts or we may only see it once a year, people that we may disagree with. We can set it to the side just as Christ set the heartbreak that we would cause Him aside. And remember that while we're home for the holidays, that we need to love with the same love that Christ 
gave to us and unselfishly choose for everyone else's highest good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you first and foremost that you sent your Son this Christmas season. That you sent your Son as a beautiful baby to be appointed to die for someone you were enemies with. That will be the ultimate sacrifice for the ungodly. And that you finally reconciled our mess up. Lord, that you would help us to remember to love each other this Christmas season. That you would help us to remember that it's not about the gifts under the tree, but it was about the baby in the manger. Lord, that you would help us to love with the same love that you loved us. We ask all these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen. sharing your heart with us. Hey, I just want to challenge you. This, this Christmas season, uh, don't, don't let what you've heard today just, oh, that was nice. Let's, let's, let's take a challenge to display the love of God with everybody we come in contact with. Have you seen any of those YouTube videos where, from, from Black Friday? People knocking each other down so they could get the you know, $300 big screen TV? Hey, let's, let's not do that. Let's, let's share the love of God with everybody we come in contact with. Amen? Here, here's how, I know I already said this, but here's how I want to challenge you to do that today. Um, I, I'm just going to ask you to take some, one of those gift cards. Uh, I, I'd really like to, to be able to blow a family away with generosity. And I know y'all, and y'all know me, and we, you don't have, not a lot of rich people in this room, but, but, but you are, you are, you, you have more than 90% of the rest of the world, and all I'm going to ask you to do is just share some of that with somebody you don't know, to choose someone else's highest good. So just, just grab one of those gift cards, put, put a little something on it, bring it back next Sunday. And uh, you may never meet that person. But it, it, is that even important? No, you're just going to show the love of God. So our ushers are going to serve you, want to challenge you to uh, drop that connection card in. Uh, put your prayer request on the bottom of that connection card. Let us know what's going on. If, if, uh, if, if you want to share a, a prayer request, please do so. Uh, thank you for those of you that have already given online. God bless you as you give.